Well, good morning. It is so great to see you here and to be able to be with you here on this Sunday, on the Lord's Day, to open God's Word and to worship together. I hope that you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know that for me, it was a very busy Thanksgiving this year. We had some family come into town that we normally don't get to spend time with. My parents uh, were able to come in from the UP. And uh, one of the things is that my dad, uh, he really loves movies. And so one of the things that we did over uh, this past week was we watched some movies together. And one of the movies that he and I watched together was the movie Interstellar. Now, Interstellar is a movie uh, about the future. It's a sci-fi movie. And it's a movie where the world is dying. And there's no hope to save our planet. And so humanity has to find a new place to live. And so it's a movie about trying to find a new planet, a new world to live in, uh, in space. And some of the things that are really interesting in this movie is it does have these really strong themes of, of hope and of love and of family that tie throughout the movie. But there's also deception, there's lying, and there is just a brokenness that cannot be mended. I think it's really interesting that in this movie there is no hope to save life on earth. And scientifically, they, they don't have the answers here on earth. The answers that they need only exist off of our world and in space. And so we have a, a, a world that is um, just failing. The governments are ineffective and unreliable. All the world alliances and partnerships have dissolved. And in this movie, a hobbled NASA is trying to save humanity. And there's just, just no hope to save life on Earth. The answers cannot be found in our Earth. Because all the data that they need to solve the equations occur in space. And so this movie, even with all these really wonderful themes in it, and this hope to overcome, we see a world that is tragically scarred, broken, and dying. And personally, I quickly engage with that movie and the storyline. I don't have to look very far in my own personal life to see brokenness in relationships, crumbling institutions, unreliability, and situations which I cannot fix, and there doesn't seem to be any solution available. I imagine that you too relate to some of those things, some of that brokenness, the unreliability, whether that might be a broken relationship in your life, or a family struggle, or maybe policies and institutions that fail to serve as they ought to. The truth is, is that we all resonate with brokenness of this storyline because it's familiar to us. It's familiar to our souls, a broken world in which we cannot fix ourselves. And we all feel and know that this world is failing, broken, sinful, in need of a solution beyond this world and its institutions. And the reality is that there is a hope, a true hope, even in the darkest of situations, a hope beyond this world that is reliable and is true. And so today, 
we are going to be reminded that our true hope is in Jesus Christ. And three reasons why our hope in him is reliable. So if you'd bow your heads with me, let me pray as we open God's word together. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the midst of a broken and dying world. Lord, we do not have to look far to see sinfulness, to see situations that are, Lord God, unfixable in our strength. Lord, we pray that you would come now and speak to us. Would your Holy Spirit bring illumination to your word? Would you strengthen us, your people? Would you encourage us, Lord God, in your hope and in your truth? And would you empower us through your word this morning? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're entering Advent. It's the Advent season. And so for Christians, the Advent season is a time of intentional preparation leading up to the celebration of Christmas. It is a time when Christians reflect in preparation to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, but also the expected return of Christ in the second coming. In fact, the word Advent is, from the word, is derived from the Latin word of uh, Adventus, which means coming, and is often translated or closely connected to the Greek word parousia, which means second coming. And while Advent has this long and developing history for Christianity, Advent has settled into a time of intentional and purposeful reflection and worship. Traditionally, the first two weeks are hope and peace, and they are looking forward to Christ's second return. While weeks three and four, joy and love, are remembering and reflecting on Jesus' birth and first coming. Combine these help us to celebrate Advent both through remembrance and also through anticipation. In many ways, Advent for Christians today is much like the situation that Israel found itself in in the Old Testament, which Josh mentioned earlier. Israel is in exile, waiting for the promised Savior, the Messiah. And Israel looked back, reflecting on all of God's miraculous actions on their behalf. They also called on God to once again to come to their aid and to rescue, to bring them hope, to restore his glory. Likewise, for those of us in Christ, we feel the darkness. We feel the waiting, the brokenness and the longing, the displacement and isolation in this world. Even in the midst of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and the redemption that we have in our faith in him, we feel the groaning of this world as it and our hearts long for Jesus to return and right wrongs, to heal hurts, to administer justice, to wipe away tears, and to bring everlasting peace. Therefore, Advent symbolizes the present situation Christians live in today as well, as we celebrate having received Christ in faith and yet await Christ's return in glory and his eternal and perfect kingdom. And so this year, I'm talking to Matt, we're going to be looking at Advent through the lens of the biblical theology of Jesus coming. We're beginning with the first indication in the Bible of God's plan to send humanity 
Jesus as Savior. So if you would, you can take out your Bibles and open up to Genesis chapter 3. That will be the passage that we'll be launching from this morning. Our passage today in Genesis chapter 3 is a chapter that is familiar to most of us, describing the fall of humanity from the perfect creation and falling into sin and separation from God. When we think of the book of Genesis, we are reminded that it reveals God's perfect plan and good creation of the universe, our world, and mankind. There's peace and harmony and fellowship amongst all of creation, but specifically between God and man. And then comes chapter 3, perhaps the darkest day of humanity, when sin entered into the world. And we still see these effects of the fall today in a broken creation, broken relationships, and separation from God. Even as those who already have Christ, we need hope for the return of Christ, for once again for him to come and make all things right and usher in his perfect eternal kingdom. And so as we open God's word, as we enter week one of Advent, a week in which we focus on hope, the hope we have in Jesus. And so I just want to take a moment to explain hope for us this morning. Because for Christian, biblical hope is not like the type of hope that we hear about or see in the world. It's not like the hope that the world talks about. When the world talks about hope, they are talking about wishful thinking. To the world, to the, world the word hope is an expression of a desire for a future outcome of which there is no certainty and no control. For example, here in Michigan, we often hear the repeated phrase, next year I hope the Lions win the Super Bowl. Or maybe even next year I hope the Lions win their division. Or even more realistically, I hope the Lions will win five games. That is the way the world hopes. However, for the Christian, hope has much more substantial and rich meaning. The biblical meaning of hope is the anticipation of the certainty of a future event that has been promised. Biblically, hope means to trust in, to wait for, to look for, or desire something or someone, or to expect something beneficial in the future. That is why we often find both the present and future tense together in passages about the hope that we have in Jesus. Because for a Christian, a promise from God is as certain as a delivered promise. Take, for example, our reading this morning from Isaiah 9. We get both present tense and future tense. For unto us a child is born. To us a child is given. And then later, we hear the future tense. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called. He will reign. Listen to this quote on biblical hope. Christians can often confuse the word hope for wishful thinking. If we hope something will happen, we have no control over whether or not it will take place. But the biblical sense of hope is very different. Hope in the Bible exists as a secure assurance, a trust placed in a trustworthy God. God has not failed us in the past, and therefore, if he claims he will do something in the future, we can have a hope 
that he will fulfill that claim. Hope waits and endures. It isn't flimsy or merely wishful thinking. It can withstand fire, trials, and despair. Why does this matter? Hope is an important thing. It helps us during significant trials or times of distress. It offers us security that God will arrive, and though we cannot see him now, we will see him face to face one day. In lieu of Advent, it helps us to recognize the hope of Israelites experienced throughout the Old Testament, especially during the time of the prophets, such as Isaiah. They yearned for a Messiah to save them from their enemies, and ultimately, the greatest enemy, their sin. Like the prophets, we also hope. We hope Jesus will return soon to this dark and despairing world. What a great summary for us of hope. And so let us look at God's word this morning and see how even in the greatest darkness, we have a hope that is true and reliable. When we open up Genesis, we see God creating all things. In the beginning, God is how our Bibles open. It starts with God. And all throughout chapter 1, we have this repeated refrain. God says, God saw. God said, God saw. God says or speaks, and it happens. Merely his words, spoken, and creation blossoms into existence. God speaks, and then God saw. And what did he see when his spoken promises came into existence? He saw that it was good. As we get into chapter 2 of Genesis, we hear about the Lord God. The Lord God does this. The Lord God interacts this way. The Lord God. The phrase the Lord God is repeated 11 times in chapter 2. And then, as we get into chapter 3, it begins... Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. So again, we see the Lord God at the beginning. But then the serpent says to the woman, did God really say to you? Notice, the Lord has already been dropped. And the generic God term is used. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, Eve and the serpent continue on in this conversation. And what you will see in this passage is that God moves from the subject of these sentences to just within the sentence to by verse 5, over verses 1 to 5, but by verse 6, God completely drops out of the conversation of the serpent and the woman. Well, the woman and the man choose to sin. They eat the fruit. They end up recognizing their nakedness and they hide themselves trying to cover up their sin and their shame. And then when they hear in verse 8 the sound of, again, 
this time, the Lord God, as he was walking into the garden in the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. The Lord comes and he confronts Adam and Eve. He reinserts himself into the narrative and he comes and he distributes justice. And then he shows mercy, covering them and putting them out of the garden, protecting them from eating the tree of life. And so as we look at this passage and we see the beginning of God's perfect world and the fall and the sin enter into it, I want to share with us this morning three reasons why our hope, our expectation that Christ will return is reliable, why our hope in Jesus is reliable, why our hope in God is reliable. And the first reason that our hope is reliable is because our hope is God-given. Beginning in verse 9, it says, But the Lord God called to man. The Lord God is reinserted as a subject of the narrative. He reinserts himself into the storyline. He is the one who initiates reconciliation and contact with humanity after we reject him. And then as we get into verse 15, it says, when God is speaking to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What we see here is the promise that God begins with, a promise of freedom from the poison of sin from the snake bite by a kinsman who will crush the head of Satan. It's a promise of a hope further revealed throughout Scripture and ultimately revealed by and through Jesus Christ. That God has made a way for reconciliation through the work of Jesus Christ from this promise that we get only a few verses after the fall that there is a kinsman who will come and crush the head of Satan and sin forever. We further see this revealed to us in Hebrews chapter 6. Listen as I read from verses 6, 16 through 18. People swear by someone greater than themselves. An oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is possible, impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. These two unchangeable things that this passage is talking about are God's promise and his pledge, or in other words, his promise and his oath. There is no possibility here for change or adjustment. It is binding and irreversible. The term used here is a term used in relation to a will. It is the idea of this unchangeable nature that by anyone but the author of the will 
it may not be changed. And here we see that God makes a pledge and an oath that it is unchangeable even by himself. It is irrevocable. Therefore, our hope is established in him. Our security is not in never letting go of God, but in his never letting go of us. And this is the hope that is set before us. This hope that is set before us, this passage is talking about, is none other than Jesus Christ. I think it's just interesting for us to note that this isn't a solution that Adam and Eve come up with. It isn't even something that they request or bargain for. It is 100% God-initiated and God-given. The promise of Jesus Christ to deliver his people from sin and to defeat Satan once and for all. And furthermore, God's oath that his promise of Jesus is certain. Oh, our hope is reliable because our hope is God-given. The second reason why our hope is reliable is because our hope is in Jesus Christ alone. As we look over the last few years, we think about all that has transpired in the midst of COVID and world events. It is quickly easy to see that there is not much of this world to hope in. In fact, I'd argue that anything that we could have or tried to put our hope in, we have seen either crack or crumble. Think about it. Hollywood came to a screeching halt and no more movies were produced. Sports were stopped and canceled. Music stars and celebrities were silenced and housed up in their homes. The reliability and trustworthy of media was exposed. Politicians, government, stock markets, and financial institutions, housing, environmentalism, even family and ourselves have all been exposed as not worthy or trustworthy or reliable of hope. And what could you possibly hope besides Jesus alone? Jesus is our only hope. Many try to trust in their good works, but we know that our good works are filthy rags apart from Christ, and that we can do nothing good. Isaiah reminds us this when he says, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Some try to trust in wealth, but we are reminded that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. All there is is mine, declares the Lord. What can you give him financially? He is the God who declares, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The Lord The world and all who live in it are his. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Will your wealth save you? Can you place your hope in wealth? What about your knowledge? Scripture reminds us that our knowledge will not get us very far. And we have nothing in the way of knowledge to offer God. 
Romans reminds us, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Even Jesus himself reminds us that it is only through him. When in John he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Only in the name of Jesus. Only Jesus is their hope. He is the cornerstone. And we're reminded in Acts that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which he must be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. For who or what could you possibly put your hope in other than Jesus Christ? As we think about Jesus Christ being our hope this Advent season, listen to this quote by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. That is the state of humility and need that we should find ourselves in. That helps us to see and know that our hope is only found in Jesus. When we look at this world, our lives, and the totality of Scripture, It is clear the only true hope that exists is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And that brings us today to the third reason why our hope is reliable, and that is because our hope is secured for us. Returning back to Hebrews chapter 6, following the verses we read before, beginning in verse 19, we hear, We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The meaning of this passage is the assurance of the hope of those in Christ cannot be separated from us. Jesus entering the veil signifies his entering the Holy of Holies, which is a place where sacrifices of atonement were made by the high priest in the Old Testament. And the reason this is significant is because under the new covenant, Christ's sacrifice on the cross has been made good for all time, once and for all. And we have this hope that this Jesus as an anchor for our souls. And therefore, what this passage is saying is that in God's mind, Our anchored souls are already firmly and securely within the veil or behind the curtain in that inner sanctuary. The inner sanctuary where Jesus has entered, where he has entered and stayed. And Jesus is seated there at the right hand of God. And he remains there as a guardian of our souls. It is not so much that we have to cling to our hope through might and effort, as it is that our hope is securely clinging to us 
through the work of Jesus Christ, anchoring us to him and to our future with him forever. One theologian said it this way, such absolute security is almost incomprehensible. Not only are our souls anchored with the impregnable, inviolable heavenly sanctuary, but our Savior Jesus Christ stands guard over them as well. How can the Christian security be described as anything but eternal? Truly, we can trust God and his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, with our souls. Dear Christian, take courage today. Your hope for eternal glory in the future kingdom is not wishful thinking. It is not fantasy, nor misguided, nor delusional. It is a promised certainty that we experience in part now and wait and long for, for, for expectantly to come in God's perfect timing. Hope for the Christian is the patient endurance for an inevitable future reality. It is a hope more reliable than the rising sun, a hope that God initiated and is God-given, a hope that is fulfilled only in Jesus, a hope that is secured for us and cannot be taken from us. And this hope that we have, that we remember this Advent morning, leads us perfectly into the celebration of the Lord's Supper, where we in faith partake of the bread and of the cup in remembrance of Jesus' first coming and proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes again. So now let me close us with an Advent prayer of hope as we celebrate the Christmas season and remember the hope that we have in Jesus' birth and future coming. Please bow your heads and your hearts with me. Heavenly Father, Advent is a time for remembering and reflecting on the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you will turn our hearts toward you as Christmas approaches. Lord, let us not get caught up in the hustle and the bustle of this season and miss the chance to celebrate the gifts of hope peace, love, and joy that you sent to us that first Christmas. Oh, Father God, every word in Scripture points us to the gift of hope that we have because of Christ Jesus. The Christmas story wasn't the beginning of that message of hope because the Old Testament is full of glimpses of your plan to redeem your people and restore them into a relationship with you. But we are able to truly begin to see and understand just how great your love for us is when we read the story of Jesus' birth in Scripture. You showed us a glimmer of that hope as you chose to send your Son into this earth through a family tree that was a little bent and scarred. We glanced at it again as you chose a tribe that was small and a city that was lowly. It can be seen when we recognize that you don't send your Son to be birthed in a fancy palace among the wealthy and the elite. But our King of kings and our Lord of lords was born among a common shepherds and livestock in a barn. Oh Lord, help us to see that you are with us. Nothing is too difficult, too messy, or too dirty for you. Jesus came to give us the gift of eternal life through salvation that only you, our Heavenly Father, can give when we believe on your Son, repent of our sins, 
and confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That first Christmas, you gave us the gift of hope, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and laid it in the manger. Thank you, Father, for your immeasurable gift. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.